How do you go about making your voice sound like someone else's? And why would you? I'll be chatting to a bunch of people who can answer those questions and many more as they reveal the dark arts of impressionists. I'm Simon Lipson, and this is Making an Impression. I'm joined today by voiceover expert uh, drummer, and for our purposes, most importantly, impressionist, it's Darren Altman. Darren, how are you? Very well, Simon. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. And uh, as we speak today, it's the 2nd of April. We are still, I guess, in the foothills of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, and Boris is still uh, sequestered. Um, how, how, how are you today, uh, Boris? How are you, how are you getting on? It, it will be, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm at home, uh, self-isolating as I have a bit of a, bit of a, uh, a tickly uh, cough and a slight, uh, a slight uh, temperature, but bearing up under the, uh, the, the circumstances. Yes. Uh, Castigat Redendo Mores. Yes. And, stuff. and you've been, uh, you've been peddling the, uh, the, the Boris impressions day to day, and then they're, they're getting better and better. The, um, you, and also you, you knocked out the coronavirus rap, which, <laughs> Gained tr- tremendous traction uh, on uh, social media, and that was uh, how long did that take you to put together? That was about a week in the making. I sat down and I wrote uh, a rap about. Uh, it was before the lockdown, so I was ri- uh, um, uh, rapping about uh, you won't run out of toilet rolls and uh, you won't run out of pasta. And I wrote that, and then I filmed it. Uh, I used one of the the face mask apps. My wife helped me film it and put it together, then obviously editing it. So it was about a week in the making, and um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. I have to say that the work, the work shows, and it's, uh, it, for all of, uh, all of our listeners here on Making an Impression, go and find that uh, piece of video. It is a masterpiece. And uh, it will stand the test of time, I think, even hopefully when uh, we emerge from this uh, horrible nightmare. Um, but with, I'm with Boris. Just, just take us through that, because I, I, I don't really do impressions that much these days. But I, it all seems to me Boris is one of those you can almost get away with just by you know, sort of, you know, to, to, I, you know, the coronavirus. And, and, you know, that, that's kind of as far as I get with Boris. What's, what's your, how do you go about finding Boris? Um, well, I mean, that, to, to be honest, if you did exactly what you did, people would, would know that that was Boris. So, I mean, don't, don't sell yourself short. It's, I mean, we can obviously get into this a bit later, but it's his mouth placement, the way he says, uh, it, this isn't on video, but uh, the way he says his S's, uh, you have to uh, talk at uh, different speeds. Uh, he obviously has a uh, rich, round voice, which I go to the, the back of the throat, and he has also a slight underbite, so sometimes when he says his sh- S uh, sounds, and uh, they've got a very slight uh, underbite uh, there, and it's all the uh, the the the, the, blus- the bluster and the and and words like um two. <laughs> That's where I started really with with my attempt. It was the two two yeah two. and 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 of course you say the underbite the S is the sort of that slightly you know the and you th- those are the. The, the sort of the impressionist tricks, aren't they? How you you sort of work your way into an impression, and we will we will come back to that. But first of all, let's uh, have a chat about Darren Altman, the man. Um, you you're very well known. I, I knew you, but way back when uh, you were one of the one of the top VOs in the country, actually, and you still are, of course. Um, 
and drummer. But tell, tell me a little bit about your, you know, your schooling and your, your education later on and how you got yourself into the world of voices. Um, well, I've always uh, drummed uh, since I was a little boy. My, my parents bought me uh, a little kit, a Maxwin by Pearl, I remember, and I used to play along to my chart hits 81 and ABBA and all that sort of stuff, musical youth growing up. And then cutting a very long story short, basically um, I went to Trinity College of Music on a Saturday where I learnt percussion and piano. I did a year in the seniors learning classical percussion and then I went to Leeds College of Music to do my degree in jazz. And all this time, all the way through, my dad used to drive me to local big bands so I could read music from a very young age. And then after my degree at Leeds College of Music, I then came back down to London and did a postgrad at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in jazz and drumming and then went on to sort of uh, do a lot of jazz. I used to depth for the house band at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, play oh, there. Wow. Yeah. Used to record music for film and TV at places like Abbey Road and Air Lindhurst Studios. And um, that was all I'd, I'd, I'd done, really. I mean, I was, I've was i always had a very musical ear, um, which I think helps. So, you know, when you're sort of digging into the minutiae of uh, accents and, and used to take the mickey and impersonate all my friends and annoy them and so I, w- I was basically drumming and earning my living as, as a drummer doing like I said lots of sessions and touring and big bands and pop stuff and then around 2004 2005 I made a very very crude what I consider to be crude voiceover reel just cobbled it together and I got my first agent off the back of that right and then it sort of took off from there and as I got more and more voiceover work I decided to transition really uh, from drumming to voiceovers full time I mean I still play and I still gig but it's as and when really and and, um, uh, I've got a beautiful voiceover studio and uh, do voiceovers for clients all over the world and um, yeah so um, in answer to your question the drumming and the musical ear obviously helped a great deal when it came to um, voiceovers it's it's interesting that because I I think a lot of voiceovers are musical and I think there is there is music to voices that listeners hear and and that's kind of how we center some of our impressions it's it's that kind of ability to pick up nuance in sound that perhaps with a musical ear that you, you're better at doing I mean I was I was a singer for what it was worth and although I never <laughs> never took it to much of a level but I used to be in bands when I was a, a teenager and it was something that. I was always good at accents and I was always, I always wanted to be a singer. That was my first love and, you know, a guitarist. Um, so it's interesting to see that transition because I, I, I came at voice, uh, to voiceovers uh, from impressions and that's, you, you've, I, I guess, side by side, because you weren't performing your impressions, were you? Although you always had a fantastic facility for doing them, you, your voiceovers was, was your, your, your main uh, pursuit. Is that right? Yeah, when when I made the the transition, I mean, I didn't set out to be an impressionist. I just I started getting some computer games and some character stuff, and being someone that my agent could go to for a lot of different and and wide ranging reads. And because I'd always done impressions as a kid, like I say, I used to wriggle out of situations. I mean, it's that old classic thing about you know the teachers telling you off, and and I used to go to the front of the class and do impressions of him and all the kids in the school and and all of that nonsense. And even when I went to music college, I used to impersonate all my flatmates and my friends, and again, probably uh, piss them off quite a bit in retrospect. It's, it's interesting that because I, I mean, I think we we all did that, didn't we? In, 
all impressionist kind of with the uh, it's partly about being the focus of attention it's quite nice to have people admire you for your ability to you know to take to take other people off let, let me ask you what so what was your first impression what was the first impression that you really nailed um and that you you know you're getting last for and people were interested in See what what I'm going to do is I'm going to date myself very quickly now because uh, <laughs> fifteen years younger than me, so you need not uh, worry. So I mean, so when I was growing up, you know, it was all it was all your you know your Frank Spencer, you know, say goodnight to the man in the moon, Jessica, <laughs> and all of that. And um, I I used to watch a lot of Roger Moore, so it was a don't touch that, darling. We don't want you leaving so soon, and uh, and all of that. And you I, know, I used to do him saying, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> that's it and just keeping the british end up sir so it was all of that and yeah a lot of you know and obviously john wayne and um, i remember uh my um one of my mum's best friends i'd done something incredibly naughty i must have been about six or seven and as she was telling me off i just i just got memories simon of launching into roger moore and um and she very quickly went from an angry face to laugh and tried to stifle a laugh so i thought oh there's something in this <laughs> I think that I was all, I mean, I'm an only child, so I obviously craved attention. I didn't mind, you know, being the party piece, as it were, doing, doing, my, doing my bit. I went to acting classes, acting groups, and used to do auditions. I was in, uh, I was an extra in Tenko. <laughs> Th third kid at the back on the left. Yeah, yeah, I remember. You know, I remember. It's great. And um, I was in something, Leslie Ash's first TV series, which there's nothing even on um, on YouTube uh, in the early 80s. So I did a little bit of acting, but I mean, I was never a child actor or a child prodigy. No, nothing like that. Well, I'll tell you what, let, let's move on to something that, that brought you into the public eye, which was Britain's Got Talent. Now, you, I, when was that? What year was that? So um, in Britain's Got Talent, well, you can, you can audition traditionally, and, and they also have researchers sort of like scouring for talent. So in 2014, 15, they, they found, a, I put up a video on YouTube, and it was a very crude video of how to do celebrity impressions. And um, I think I deconstructed a few voices like Jeremy Clarkson and Kenneth Williams or whoever. And they saw the video and they rang me up and said, listen, we've seen your video. Do you fancy doing it? And I said, that's very kind of you. No, thank you. And I just had it in my head that because I'm a voiceover artist, the jeopardy would be too much. And like if I went on there and, and bombed, that wouldn't be the best career move. So I said no. And then they got in contact the year after and said, look, we've seen your video. Do you want to do it? And this time uh, I said, do you know what? Just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? So I basically took that video and I, and I wrote myself a little four minute routine, no longer than that, four or five minutes, where it was basically that. I just shoved a few gags in and deconstructed some voices and they went absolutely mad i got a standing ovation from all four judges and they they gave me some really really nice comments and that was that and it just sort you, of and you went into the the semi-final from from there eventually uh, i thought we should have won it but then you know then i'm biased but um it's, it's interesting I, I i like you and i i was being chased by by britain's got talent for three years running and they 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 kept coming to me and i kept saying i, I don't fancy it and i remember you and i spoke about this um or, or over facebook at least we were chatting and and you you gave me some very i thought very sage advice because i i stopped doing stand-up 10 years ago really um and i was out of practice and they kept coming to me and i kept saying look i'm not this is not me I don't, i'm not an impressionist anymore i'm not a performer anymore and i asked you and you said to me and i 
that, that, that I would need to be current, that I would need to somehow nail the the voices that work on that show. How did you, because you, you did Ant and Dick, didn't you? Or did you? I did Ant and Dick, I did Gordon Ramsay, I did Jeremy Clarkson. I mean, what you've got to remember is that show is watched by everyone from four, five-year-old girls and boys right up to nans and granddads of 70 80 it's it's a typical you know um family show so you've got to do voices i mean i could go on there you know this week and do kenneth williams and roger moore and and absolutely bomb because you're alienating you know 70 percent of the viewing audience so if you're going to do it you need to be have voices that everyone from a five-year-old girl to right up to 80 year old grandparents can go oh that's good i mean i think i I thank you for that advice by the way it it was uh, it would have been a massive mistake not that i had any career at stake to be fair but it it just would have been a massive mistake to put myself at the mercy of 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 those judges and the world at large when i didn't really come at it with you know i would have (laughs) i'd have gone into really really corbett you know (laughs) yeah they would have looked at me like i was bonkers well, I mean, a, a, that's a bloody good impression, but B, you know, that the poor sod's been dead for 10 years, so it's... You know, so, yeah. That's right. It would have been, a, would have been a, horror, a horror show. I've got Danny Postal coming on to making an impression uh, in the not-too-distant future, and he also took the same sort of Britain's Got Talent ride as you, and it's interesting to compare your respective experiences. I mean, from, from your career perspective, because I don't think you were gigging stand-up stroke impressionist. Um, I just like to say, just to add, that um, I reached the semi-finals and uh, I didn't do well in the semi-finals. Simon Simon Cowell was saying to everyone, it's the 10-year anniversary, it's the 10-year anniversary, you've got to get bigger because people were doing their first audition, doing really well, coming back and sort of trying to repeat that. So I thought, I'll tell you what I'll do. I had this idea. I thought, well, they've seen me do stand-up, as it were, even though I'd never, ever done it before, never been on the stage before. Uh, So what I'll do is I'll create a scene and I can do all the characters in, in that scene. So I created a scene in a restaurant. I thought you could have Anton Deck as the maitre d'. You could have Gordon Ramsay as the chef. You could have Bear Grylls and, and Alan Sugar. And I spent a day with one of their writers writing this scene. Uh, and they didn't go for it. And um, they said it was too manic and I was running around. And I was absolutely... I remember holding back the tears in the taxi on the way I was heartbroken because I thought if I'd have stayed on the stage again just doing more of the same just doing a few voices the chances are I would have sailed through to the final and it would have been a different story so but you do you know what Simon you you've got to take risks in life and you know at the end of the day it was it was what it was and I just threw myself out there you know but in answer to your question no I'd, I'd, I'd never had any um I'd never had any performance um, skills in the bag. I was I was never a, a gigging impressionist. A lot of people that that go on on the show of you know are working comedians that have been on the circuit for ten years, and they get plucked out and they go on there. But they've got they've got all that those years and years of experience. I'd never had that. So I remember when I um, did the first audition, it was upstairs in the Hen and Chickens and Highbury Corner. And there was an audience there, and I thank God I never knew at the time, but it was made up of um, all the producers and researchers. I walked onto the stage, there was a microphone. I was so scared, I didn't even touch the microphone. It was a rookie mistake. You know, you, you, t- you see, uh, you know, now, you know, I would go onto a stage, I'd take the microphone out, I'd get rid of the stand. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, my God. I, j- I just stood there playing with my t shirt and twiddling my thumb ring. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> 
incredibly tough to do what you did, you know, and 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 to pull it off because you looked in, in your first audition, you looked like this is what you do. This is this is your game. This is the thing you do every every night of the week. So I, you 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 managed to to find that even if you were faking somehow because it is it is you know. And I was a stand up for twenty years. You you know you don't just acquire that in five minutes. Funny you mentioned about touching the, the microphone. I always stood behind the microphone for my first 15 gigs because I was scared to touch it and move it and move, run around the yeah. stage. And it was only once I did that, I felt liberated. I felt like I, I've arrived. I know what I'm doing now. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, yeah. as you say, it's a rookie mistake, but one that's very easily made. You, you know, Taking the mic off the stand is a kind of a sign of, right, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly yeah, yeah, you exactly. didn't have it and but you you did incredibly well to to find that so so going beyond britain's got talent you started to do some gigging are you are you still gigging now or is that something you've you've reined in yeah in? so after britain's got talent i got um a manager a fantastic comedy manager uh, who offered to take me on and basically he said what do you want and i said well i'd like to capitalize on the success in inverted commas the success i've had from britain's got talent and he said well you need to start gigging and building up a fan base so basically i've had to really reverse engineer it i had no performance practice or skills going into it and i since then i've i'm been out i'm gigging i'm doing open mics and comedy nights and corporates and basically learning the skills and and writing and um and doing things in reverse really let me ask you, you you're you're married you've got uh, two children two girls yeah what, what ages are they they're five and nine five and nine so do you find because i kind of similar sorts of ages to when i started going out you know when i was gigging quite regularly do you find that you know the the, the sort of unsociable hours and the hanging around and the whole the whole thing coming in late feeling exhausted in the morning is it is it a strain on that dynamic at home, or do you find that you know you can you found a way to to work that into your your overall family routine? That's a very good question. When I first met Emma on uh, on a holiday we met in Cyprus, um, I was drumming, and basically she she got. I mean, she's not a performer, she's not an entertainer, but she understood a musician's life and never ever questioned or or we'd never had a single conversation about that you know oh you're not you're doing this you do too much of that blah. and and as I trans um sort of transferred or transitioned is the word from drumming to voiceovers and impressions and then gig in as you say she never she's never it's just it's just something that I'm doing and something that she understands and um it sort of is what it is, you know, I go out and I do gigs and I mean, you know, most of them are in London, so it's not like I'm back at three in the morning or whatever, but no, 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 she's, she's great and the kids understand it and they understand what I do and yeah, it's, uh, yes, it's unsociable, but if I was out every single night of the week going up and down all over the country touring and gigging, it, it would be different. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm very aware of n not being away that much, you know. Sure. I mean, in terms in terms of gigs, then I mean, I you know, I, I must have done hundreds down the years. I can only really remember the bad ones. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know there were good ones. I know I got an encore at the Comedy Store, and I know I got encores at Jonglers regularly when it was when it was a, a club. <laughs> what's been what's been your best, and what's been your worst? I think. Do you know what I did? Um... I was absolutely shitting myself. I did one of these um, gong shows. It was at the Blackout, which is up the creek in uh, in 
in Greenwich, and I was and I was so nervous. I was sweating because I'd never done a gong show. So basically, for those who don't know, a gong show is where you've got members of the audience and they've got cards. And if they if three of the, so three three members have got a card. Once all three cards go up, you're off. It goes blackout. That's it. You're off. You're off the stage. And um, basically, not only did I do my five minutes and beat the blackout, at one point, that one of the guys with one of the cards was laughing so much, he actually handed it back to me. I think I was in the middle of a, a Gordon Ramsay, and I and I turned to the sound guy who was in charge of the lights and turning, you know, and playing <laughs> music as you got blood. I went, hey, hey, big boy, hey, where's your fucking music now, hey? Oi. And I just and I laughed, and I was just... And that sense of freedom... And a gig that goes well is is a gig that you just you just you feel that you could do anything. You sort of almost go off script. You're having a laugh, and and the gigs that don't go well are the ones that you're sticking rigidly to the script. You're analysing what the audience is thinking. You know, you're looking at them. They you're thinking as you're saying the lines and going through your routine. You're thinking they think you're an arsehole. <laughs> it's so it's horrible. It's horrible. They hate me. Why? What have I done? What have I done to just merit this this loathing? So let's move on from your uh, performing career right now for a second, and l- let's get into the process. How do you go about plucking the essence of a voice out of the out of out of the air? Because we, you know, I know there's no single method because you know I've been there myself. So there are different ways of doing it. But what? Where do you kind of start with your voice? So even you, you, you're going to. You want to do your impression of um, I don't know, who, let's pick a voice, and perhaps you can take me through your process. Who, who would you who do you fancy doing here at this? Uh... Okay, well, say someone, say someone like um, Craig Cash, who does the Gogglebox narration. It was in so so with him. Did you start with that? Oh, so, so I'm, normally I I can sort of hear. So with Craig Cash, he's from I think he's from Manchester. He's got he hasn't got a deep voice. It's quite high or medium in, in register but he's got a very slow almost like a drawl delivery very look even when he's acting and if you watch Gogglebox you'll know his voice and he's got what I call a rasp so uh, if you can make that sound uh, and then talk through that you're sort you're sort of there with and then then once you get that sort of Manchester twang and do a really slow delivery then you can say things like and in Manchester the Malones in Derby the Siddiquis and in Leeds Sisters Ellie and Dizzy. <laughs> so you're you're essentially deconstructing the voice as you, as you hear it. Um, and are there bits where you you're thinking right? This needs to come out of the back of my mouth, or this needs to come out of my deeper in my throat, off to the front nearer my teeth. Are you are you going into that level of almost empirical analysis, or or does those do those things? flow naturally and then you then you kind of acknowledge them and and commit them to memory how does it how does it work i'm definitely consciously doing that uh without a shadow of a doubt so with 
Craig Cash, for example, it's that, uh, and I can feel that at the back of my throat. It's almost on the cusp. And it's also the melody. Everyone's got a melody. Whereas with Jeremy Clarkson, I can open up myself and you can probably, even though you can't see me, my whole posture has changed. And I'm right at the back of my throat and trying to get that lovely, deep, rounded voice. Now, the difference between me and Jeremy is that Jeremy has been smoking cigarettes for years and I'm a non-smoker, but they're a thing. Da, da, da. So if we, so even if, even if we <clears throat> don't say anything, and I just do the melody of it. Yes, that's brilliant, and I, I, I love that because that's that's the music of it, isn't it? So you, it's 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 it, it, and it's lots of other things besides, but there's that there's that rhythm and music, and you I can almost see the wave line, you know, as you as it would as it would appear, you know, as it, it's going up and down and all that sort of. Anyway, I don't don't do Clarkson, but I that was a good lesson in Clarkson. <laughs> So moving on, you, your natural voice, I would pitch, I would say, is, is somewhere is somewhere between bassy and uh, sort of mid range. Yeah, I don't know if that. I mean, that's sort of as I, as I hear it anyway. And I'm thinking of somebody like uh, Rory Bremner, who's got a fairly high pitched natural voice. Mm. My natural voice is quite, uh, you know, bassy. Does that limit your ambition, as it were, with with any impression? So. For example, you know, my example is always Woody Allen. I always wanted to be able to do Woody Allen, and I knew I could do the the shtick, you know, the the, the mm-hmm. kind of the general sound of him. But my natural voice is deep, and his isn't. I ended up kind of falsettoing it, and I talked about this in my in the in the previous show, so that it would be, yeah, I can't, but I'm shocked, you know, I it's ridiculous, hey, you know, what I'm saying my mother and you know that kind of thing. So I would almost take it to the very limit of my my natural pitch and then into falsetto to fake it. And and for me it was kind of it was a cartoon because I knew that my natural voice couldn't ever quite handle it. So uh, do you what what how do you go about taking on something that is way outside of your natural range? Someone like Woody Allen, I wouldn't say was naturally falsetto. Don't forget, he's an old man now. Not, I mean, not so much falsetto, but it's from from where my natural voice is, which is you know kind of somewhere down here. He's up here, you know. He's in more more yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. I can already hear myself yeah. going almost into falsetto to achieve that pitch. With, with, with Woody Allen, you know, it's excuse me, it's like you know, you have to do the the, the nervous staccato like. We've been divorced two weeks. She's dating a Nazi. You know, it's... it's dang, excuse me while I... That's great. And that's that's really interesting because you didn't actually... You, you, you kept your, the pitch where you wanted to keep it and you mm. still completely sold me that. But if you wanted to put it up there, you know, it's you, you, can, you, can, you can go up there, but naturally... It, you, you, thank you. Excuse me. I'm going to have to order the chicken himor. <laughs> so, so that's great and that's that's fascinating because i i always felt obliged to try and you know, <laughs> just, and ridiculous hey? <laughs> and all that stuff because because what what you what, what you can do is you can be influenced by other impressionists don't forget so you know you know if you hear someone someone else doing a great gordon ramsay or a great woody allen you know you you can sort of default to to someone else's impression, you know, and borrow little bits. If you, this is this is also fascinating because when I was a kid, 
uh, Mike Yarwood was the, mm. you know, impre- impressionist du jour. He was just the king. And when you look back at Mike Yarwood, who I subsequently worked with, and it was fantastic to work with him, but he he was not a great vocal impressionist. He was a brilliant, what I would call a, he would just get something about people's characters and and completely sell it to you. And that was his genius, I felt. And so, but we all used to, you know, when we were kids, when I was a kid, we that's who we did, that we mm. did him doing other people. You know, you know, Dennis, he watched Sully Bully. You know, that was <laughs> that was his um, Dennis Healy thing. And I wanted to ask you, because you, you've mentioned it, you brought it up, other impressionists. So are there are there other impressionists that you have admired and whose work that you feel the way that they achieve what they achieve is closest to how you go about it. And also we, we know as we all steal from other impressionists because sometimes they find that hook that you can't yeah. find. And suddenly you, I could never do John Motson. And then I, I was watching Rory Bremner and I thought, yeah, Oh, I can see what you're doing there. Oh yes. You know, yes. You know, uh, you have to say that was a fantastic. And I suddenly mm. realized what he was doing and it helped me get it. So who, who do you watch? Who do you admire? And what do you take from them? Growing up, um, yeah, Mike Yarwood, um, as as we record this today, 2nd of April 2020, we've lost Eddie uh, Eddie Large. Sadly, yes. Uh, sadly, um, who I got to work with actually, backing him on, in, in Cabaret. I, I was drumming and, and I was extremely startled. He, but but he, um, he was great, you know, we used to watch him and, and his, his voices. Chris Barry, who was the lead impressionist on Spitting Image, I absolutely loved him. I just, I was a bit of a fan with, with Chris Barry. Rory, who I have worked with, and we, we we keep in touch now. He his, it's it's the impressionists who get what I what I always bang on about, which is the attention to detail, your mouth placements, you know, little things like if there's an underbite, you know, if there's a way of speaking, if it's at the back of the throat, if they've got a slight speech impediment, all these things are clues and hooks. You know, if, if I mean, I've never actually thought of this before, but I'm going to say it anyway, even though it may sound a little bit wanky. We're detectives, and if we can find the clues to someone's voices, like, for example, the t of Boris, or the slight underbite on the sh, you know, the push the jaw forward, not everyone is going to clock that, you know, but if you can pick up these teeny little clues, piece them all together, or maybe the rhythm of someone, so if you take someone like Joe Brand, you can't see me do my S's, but I'm sure you can hear them, and what you have to say is that every time she speaks, everything is in this tune. Da-da-da-da-da-da. That's another, another one. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Absolutely. Another one that's, you know, the music of it that, that, that really sells that impression. So let me let me ask you this about... about other impressions. I mean, Chris Barry actually was. I just wanted to mention Chris Barry because we don't really see him doing impressions these mm. days. But he was the one. He gave me David Coleman. I was thinking, how does anyone? Uh, uh, the, oh, one uh, nil. Um, <laughs> he he just he nailed that, and I always thought that's one of those impressions you can't do. You know, and then you suddenly hear somebody doing it, and think, oh, Christ, yes, you can do it. It can be done. Um, I had a, my guest uh, on the previous show. He did a Ryan Reynolds, Alex Jordan did Ryan Reynolds. And I thought, how do you do it, Ryan Reynolds? And then he just did it. Mm. And you think, wow, he's he's found something that I, in a million years, I don't think I could ever find. Um, and that's part part of the trick, isn't it? Is that but is finding. But you also get impressionists and they, they, they find things that the person 
doesn't actually say. So if you were to do for someone, you know, if you were to do like, for instance, I don't even need to say his name because I can see you smiling. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make millions of pounds of telling you things you already know. Now, if you're doing your Michael McIntyre, one thing he does do is he's got quite a quiet voice. No one likes to do that. They all do him up here. But some impression is for some reason they all do him like this. Yes, you can caricature and you can parody, but I, I think that if you can stay as close to the person, you know, and have you noticed? Lady, and he's got a slight, the way he says his R's, uh, he's got a slight uh, going on there as well. Well, if you can get that in attention to detail, you know, like it's really noticeable, ladies and gentlemen, you know. Uh, that's great. I mean, McIntyre for me is one of more, what I call one of the uh, snippets, my snippet impressions, because mm. I can't really do him and I haven't really worked too hard on trying to, to do him. But I would just get the, no, I hit you. And, you know, that, that would just be <laughs> much as, as far as I go with McIntyre. Let me ask you this also, because that, that was interesting. You, you talked there about accuracy. And I, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, we all impressionists have their very, very accurate impressions, maybe maybe 10, maybe 15, where you think I absolutely nailed this. And then you've got, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 that are good, you know, and, and you can get away with them every day. And then you have a few that are not accurate vocally, but for some reason, perhaps because you give them a cartoon quality or you do something visually or whatever it might be, you can still sell them. And I wanted to ask you this, is it more important to be vocally accurate than it is to be funny? Or is the key to be vocally accurate and funny? Well, I think you're talking about two different things because not all impressions uh, are going to be comedy impressions you're not playing them for laugh i mean i've done impression i mean in answer to your question yes i try and get as close as i can um without sort of trying to mask my own voice if you like trying to get into the character and into the voice as much as you can so if if someone for example you know you don't even have to say anything you go right that's it you know that's him I've done Hugh Grant, which I'd, I've done him once and once only for a video, and it was a it was a it wasn't a char joke or a parody. It was it was for um, like a campaign video, and it was absolutely dead straight, as if they'd hired Hugh Grant to narrate this video. I'd done a Donald Trump. Do you know what I can't? Uh, I, I, I don't think that I could. Um, I've literally did him once and once uh, only. Um, but 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 I, but I think I, I I'm that was just at the top of my. I've never apart from recording, studying him, and then voicing him for that video. I've ne I've never done him again. But it but the point I'm trying to make is it wasn't played for laughs. It was it was a complete and utter. Look, we haven't got Hugh Grant, but we'll get Darren to do it. So therefore, it wasn't a comedic piece. But I think if you are um, like if one these silly little Boris videos I've been throwing out, you know, I can be and all of that, and yes, give him lots of bluster and pomposity, and just stretch him like make a caricature, like someone drawing you, and then stretching the ears and stretching the jowls or whatever. You can you can take things, but as 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 accurate as possible, I I I think is is for me the way to go. So when you listen back to your impressions, can you still hear your voice? Because I know we, we are the most, the people who judge us the most strictly are ourselves, right? Because I think mm. when I, when I listen, I did a, I did a piece of video just for, for fun a, a little while ago for a podcast that I do for, uh, God help us for spell. 
and I know you're really? a, I know you're a fellow sufferer. And um, I did uh, Morgan Freeman for it, and um, I always thought my Morgan Freeman was very good. And you know, well, now, yeah, no, I'm Andy Dufresne. And <laughs> and then I then I then I put this over a piece of film, and it was shit. And I thought, I don't know why. I can all I can hear is me. So are there voices that you do where you're you're selling it to your audience or to your client or whoever it might be, but you are dis kind of is that disappointment because you can still hear yourself? Completely, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and um, uh, when you sort of show me these 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 questions, th- these questions have been written from someone as, uh, on the inside, if you know what I mean. Because because yeah, and you're absolutely right. There was when I do my Morgan Freeman, I can completely hear my voice in there. And yet, other people have said to me, "Oh my God, your Morgan Freeman is amazing." And I think it's a probably a five, six out of ten. You know, you know, if, as long as you get the essence. Of, I mean, I use him as my stand up. If things aren't going well, I can turn my back into the audience and say um and darren more than likely won't be doing that piece again as it didn't get the laugh that he intended now you know i can hear i can hear my voice in there but people are going to say that's morgan freeman it can't not be morgan freeman but if i had my way but don't forget the other thing is that i'm of a certain age you're of a certain age and if i'm going for someone who's maybe 70 80 yes there are little tricks that you can do like with attenborough for example but i haven't got another 40 years of my vocal cords use of my vocal cords that he has you know i can do jeremy clarkson but i'm not a smoker so i can't start you know start smoking 40 fags a day in order to get that 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 um the damage you know in his throat that he's got i can't replicate that but there are some people that you can what's his face um who does come dine with me dave dave lamb uh, dave lamb yeah Dave Lamb, you know, we've got quite similar... I mean, I've never heard him speak, but certainly I can get... Oh, and uh, today Simon's cooking fajitas, ole! You know, and that's a sort of strained voice. I wonder what Debbie will think of his cooking. Uh, <laughs> and we're sort of in the same register, so it's sort of there or thereabouts. Yeah, again, a very fascinating stuff. I was saying, I was saying to, to Alex Jordan in the previous episode that you could take 10 impressionists doing the same impression... And if you hear them all at the same time, they will all sound different. But if you hear them individually as, as, a, as a punter, they're all going to sound great. And, and it, again, it, it kind of goes to this idea of how, you, you know, you go about producing a voice and a sound. It maybe can't ever be 100% accurate. But if you're doing the things that in the minds of the listener are the keys, the clues to that voice, and you're mm. doing them really well... They're going to believe you, you know, they're going to believe that voice. They're going to buy into that voice. Danny Postal, for example, has got a much higher natural he register. Has, yeah, yeah. does a magnificent uh, Diane Abbott. And I'm going to get him to do that mm. on, the show, on the show next week. He's still able to knock out a Boris, um, who, you know, we know is you know, near, in that register and, and still sell it. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that. I think you hit the nail on the head. There are clues. It's like what I was saying, the, the detective analogy. If you give people enough clues, they'll, they'll recognise it. I mean, sometimes I'll hear an impression and I think that's good. But just for my ears, it needs to be two tones down or three tones down because it's just all the clues are there. The details there. It's really good, but it's too high, for example. And you just think if you were to take what you've done and drop it, it will be on the money. Now, maybe that's me just being a bit anal and a bit, you know, 
Well, um, we, uh, we, we impressionists are critical of other impressionists because we we can hear the things they're achieving and the things they're not quite hitting. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not, I don't no, mean no, to. Of course not. No, no. I'm, but I, mean, I used to be on Dead Ringers, and you know, it was a long, long, long time ago. Um, but you know, there were, I was with John Colshaw and Alison McGowan, and, and McGowan for me is the best. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely the best. Yeah, yeah. There would often be situations where we'd have to do a, a you know a voice off you know and the producer would say well simon you know let's hear your uh, whatever and then they say oh john you do it and they'd be completely different and i'm thinking i know mine is better and i can hear why yours is worse than mine on this particular one and i'm sure it worked the other way the other yeah. way around as well you know it's it's that kind of you, you know when you're listening to other impressionists you know that that voice they're doing is going to work perfectly well to the to to the listeners, but to your perhaps your more refined, on your nuanced ear as an impressionist, you can hear that actually you could probably do it better, and that, that's one of my great frustrations on Dead Ringers. However, I'm not going to. I'm not bitter. Uh, I'm moving on to 20 years later. I'm Let it go, on. Si. Let it go. I <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I I completely get what you mean. Let's try something else. Something else I wanted to talk to you about. Um, now, way back in the day, uh, I think John Colshaw actually had a show where he would sit with the real person and then be the real per. You know, impersonate that person whilst talking to the real person. To me, that is you're on a loser because you you can never be as good as the real person, right? So he would sit opposite Chris Tarrant, but Chris Tarrant does it better. Mm. Have you ever come across a situation where you've met one of your targets and they know you do them and <sighs> they had to do them or you've you know been cajoled into, into you, know, is, you know what I mean? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, do you know what? Off the top of my head, there's probably examples where it has happened. I can't think of anything that, that 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 stand out. I have worked with people and subsequently impersonated them. I did um I did a corporate with Joel Domit where he was hosting oh, this yes, yes, yes. where he was hosting this this event in the Grosvenor Ballroom, about five thousand of people, and I was doing the voice of God. And he was doing the next award and I would say just give the blurb as they came up to the stage. And subsequently, I was sitting eating with him, and it was before the Masked Singer and all of that. He'd just done "I'm a Celebrity," yeah. and and I ended up sort of subsequently latching onto his voice, thinking oh, I could probably get away with a Joel Domit here, but uh, uh, but no, I wasn't about to sort of sit over our over our you know lukewarm chicken and say, uh, "Oh, I can't wait to see this!" Oh my God, like you know Joel Domit, oh the Masked Singer. Oh, I'm so excited, I'm so excited for this. Oh. You see, now that that is a voice that, for me, is what I would call a you know, it's a it's a left field voice. It's one I could never imagine even attempting myself, and yet you know you've you've picked that up and run with it, and and it's absolutely immaculate that I think. And it, you know, what's your best impression? So this is in your your ears, right? Forget everybody else telling you that's great, that's great. Which is your absolutely best impression? And and do it for us, and then tell us why. Oh wow. The fat-tailed scorpion is just five inches in length and can kill a human being in minutes. The Cape Cobra. One bite from this deadly snake can cause paralysis, respiratory failure, and ultimately, death. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that is immaculate. And, and so tell me that's... How did you develop that? How did you go about it? And why why is it for you 
your best impression? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's. I just think that with with him, he's he's of a certain age now, and his teeth don't sit. So again, it's the mouth position that you can't see, and the way I'm stressing certain words, going up and then down, and don't forget the lovely. See, when a lot of people, when a lot of people do David Attenborough, they just sort of tend to give him a whispery voice. But he does tend to get very excited, and his volume can creep up and then go back down. Yes, well, that's that's brilliant, and it's you you you've got that thing about where he sounds like he might be he might be just sucking a, a, a sherbet mm. lemon at the same time. It's just that slight occlusion in his delivery, and you've you've absolutely nailed that. Are there voices that you do that no one gives a shit about? (laughs) You just happen to do this voice and you love it. And maybe you've tried it at stand up. You've tried it on people. And it's just something that entertains you. (laughs) There's a guy I listen to a a podcast uh, called uh, Radio Moments. And there's a guy... um, called david lloyd and he's a radio historian he's fantastic here's if you're a radio geek and you love radio he's got an hour-long thing called conversations it's beautifully produced and beautifully edited and i can do a great david lloyd no one if you're out the radio industry you wouldn't know who he is and it amuses me and i, I remember when i tried to do i was listening to him one day and I, and I said in april in 1966 steve wright was presenting the first show on radio one and radio two and here we have sounds of the 60s and he's got, <laughs> and, it, and I was walking along quietly whistling to myself and doing my David Lloyd um, and no one would know him at all but it just amuses me <laughs> one other thing about uh, we talked about other impressionists so you you've worked with other impressionists you mentioned Rory Bremner Rory was very very generous I did um, it was it was again a corporate he was presenting and I was doing the voice of God but because we've been messaging on Twitter and stuff he said well listen why don't we do it like almost like a two-hander he said you could read out some of your lines it was it was quite an, it wasn't a serious award ceremony it was quite a, a relaxed affair and he said why don't I just throw to you and you can do some voices so he was so he, he didn't need to do that and I just thought, what a generous thing. So I was doing like Ant and Deck and all these different voices and Kenneth Williams and whoever and just having a laugh with him. And I thought that was such a lovely thing for him to do. You know, Alan Sugar and whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 you don't, I don't, you sold me a load of old tut now. Now, you know, and he's from Acne and he's got that sort of rough, gruff thing. And uh, and he's got that ground. He, he looks at you like you're sort of shit on his shoe. You, you know, now, now with, with respect, Simon, you, you, you're fired. <laughs> Lovely stuff. And he, he's, he's an interesting guy, Rory. I, I, I know that uh, I've got a bit of a story about Rory, which I'm, I'm re- kind of slightly reluctant to tell. But I'm going to tell it anyway. What the fuck? <laughs> I, used to, I was I used to be in a, a double act with um, a female comedian. And we used to, we did it at the Edinburgh Festival. She knew Rory Bremner from years before. And he knew who I was because he knew I'd was an impressionist and we we you know he you know keeps his eye on who's out there mm. and and it bothered him that there were people out there who could do good voices and we we were doing the show and it, the show wasn't an impression show but during the course of the show I did I did Billy Connell it was great I did it like you know whatever and then I did uh, I did David Beckham or whatever so I did a, a three or four impressions during the course of the show and I could see Rory Bremner at the back 
after the show, uh, he went to, he had a chat with my, my partner and he said, you know, I was watching Simon and, you know, he always does those impressions really well. And she said, you're Rory fucking Bremner. What are you worried <laughs> about? And I thought, but there is that, isn't there? I don't know whether there's ever been a thing for you that, that you, you know, you can do your, your great voice and suddenly you, you see someone, you hear someone, you think, Oh my God, I'm nothing. I've got nothing. Uh, has that mm. ever that happened to you? There's a few impressionists, and, and they can do all the American lot, and I can't. And they do like, people like Denzel Washington and, and Mark Wahlberg, and I'm thinking, fucking hell, like, yeah, do you, I couldn't even get a handle on these people. I think it'd be doing voices that no one else does. I try and do, um, in my um, uh, stand-up, I do Peter Kay and, and, and Paddy McGuinness. I mean, they're just two examples that stand out, but you don't really sort of see people doing them. So if you can try and maybe add a few into your repertoire that aren't your sort of bog-standard go-tos, everyone can trot out a half-decent Attenborough. But if you can do... I do David Mitchell and people like Tom Allen, you know, and try and keep it a bit current and, and Alan Davies. I do a whole section of comedians. And that's interesting because that, that's, a, that's a very important point. That the, the thing where you, you don't trot out the, the, the bog standard, you're obviously going to do a few of them, but if you can wow an audience with three or four that they didn't see coming, Mm. That's why I, was, I wanted to you know, specifically talk to you about Joel Domit because I'd seen your I've, I've seen you doing that uh, on a piece of internet film and uh, wow you know that's 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 different that's very different very unusual I've not heard anybody else do that I think going back in the day I I was the first to do uh, Chris Eubank oh yeah and, and yeah. after that you know right over touring him like this you know it was uh, incredible it was uh, remarkable who can't you do and you really want to do. When I do my Jeremy Clarkson, the um, the normal cry is, well, can you do James May and Richard Hammond? And the answer is no. I just cannot get anything on them. I just, they are too, I just can't. There's nothing for me to get a handle on with them at all, yeah. at all. Yeah. And I've been asked to do them for radio adverts and stuff, and I just have to say I'm really sorry. I just can't help you out with them. Can't do it. You mentioned that you are, you were always, you know, quite happy to be, the center of attention and uh, which which was the exact opposite to me which i was an absolutely very very shy person and unless i was with all my mates i would do when i would do all my voices and nonsense i couldn't know if, if i was at a my parents they go do that you know do your richie do your richie mm. benno i just couldn't do it you know become completely tongue-tied mm. To you, the opposite to me. And this is another thing I'm looking for in you know across this series to see you know which of which of us are the natural kind of out there extrovert performers and which of us are the the ones who the hider behind us. Don't don't get me wrong. If if we were out in a you know out for dinner and there was a whole table, I'm not about to stand up and perform. I'm I'm quite shy in that respect. It depends on the situation, you know. I mean, I'm not I'm not really that much of a sort of performing monkey that I'll happily. What's the old joke about? Someone opens the fridge door and you know I do five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so so well because you, as you know on my list of questions, I was going to ask you about dinner parties because I used to mm. get this all the time because I was quite a successful stand up and I was doing all kinds of good good work and TV and radio as an impressionist. So inevitably people would say, well, go, go on then, go on then. <laughs> you'd be at a dinner party or you'd be, be at a, some kind of gathering. Well, go on, do one. And, you, you know, then you go, oh, well, you know, my name, oh, I'm Frank Bruno. <laughs> and, and they go, well, that's not very good. 
And you think, yeah, yeah. oh, fuck off. And that would be all my, my... So in the end, people used to say, you know, what do you do? And I'd say, uh, I'm a solicitor, which I used to be. Solicitor. I'm a, I'm a solicitor. So. I'm a solicitor. Uh, which, I, which I, in fact, I used to be. So I could, I could just about fake it. Do you ever get that? I mean, because that was often my experience that, that people always, they're always bloody disappointed or they think they can do better or they've heard someone, you know, someone, someone would go, oh, have you heard Alistair McGowan do that? He does it really well. I, I, I put, um, um, there's an app called TikTok, which very quickly, without putting up a lot of content, I've somehow got over 20,000 followers on there. So occasionally if I'm bored and kicking about at home, I'll bung an impression up and people like it because it's different. So I did my um, Peter Dixon, you know, I said, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to face the music on your telly box. And, you know, within 10 minutes, someone replied, oh, well, I can do the X Factor guy better. And so he, you know, the ladies and gentlemen it's rachel out of danger and you think okay right fine and it's just interesting that you know they see that and they go right well mine's better than yours <laughs> well, absolutely yeah it's it's uh it's one of the bugbears i think i often used to find that so i i mean as i say as i'm now in long in retirement no one ever bothers to ask me anymore so it's or and there's another guy that does an incredible gordon ramsay i'll give you his name oh and, sure um, yeah, Schaefer Bates. He's he's brilliant. And um I, I post, you know, videos of Gordon Ramsay and very quickly, you know, within a couple of days people are posting Schaefer Bates is, is the absolute king and it's like, well, you don't have a fucking monopoly on it's not a competition and it is what it is. I was ill one morning and I was sitting around them and I thought, oh, I'm gonna do a bunch of impressions and I just stuck them on a camera. After I'd done it, I thought, hey, I'm just opening myself up here to the usual kind of keyboard warrior who just is there to, 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 to knock you down. You know, by all means say something, but if you can't say anything nice, don't bother. I, I don't, not that I'm desperately looking for, for, for approval. It's just, I don't want to be dealing with the, that kind of sneery put down, but why bother with it? So after, after I did Britain's Got Talent, I soon realized very quickly that I was getting comments, oh my God, the best impression that we've ever seen, Darren, he should get his own show, unbelievable, what a lovely guy, best in blah, 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 and then, shit, wanker, didn't understand anyone, who's this idiot, crap, bollocks, Coleshaw's better, and so you just think, well listen, for 50% of the people who think you're the best thing since sliced bread, 50% of the people are going to think you're crap and an arsehole, so there's no point in, in losing sleep, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're all human, but there's very little point with trying to argue with these, but I stuck a Boris thing up and they had the most amazing comments you know i've been doing my daily boris cam and then someone posted well that was shit and a lot of these people they don't even have their real names you and i you're simon lipsom on all your so social media i'm darren altman if you you know where to find me and you get people like the aggressor 156 or derek del deza 298 and you go well thanks derek del deza 298 you anonymous piece of <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly I think, well, we're, we're coming to the end. This has been enormous <laughs> fun. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. What we're going to do, we're going to do another show. That's that's absolutely what we're going to do, uh, if you're up for it. But for, for now, uh, we, we're going we're gonna to bring it to an end. And I want you to teach me an impression. Um, and, I, you know, I've done, I've done all the disclaimers I can do about, you know, I haven't done really impressions for 10 years and blah, blah, blah. You know, most of the people I do are dead as we, we mentioned about, about Ronnie Corbett. Teach me one. I tell you what, teach me that Joel Domit. I really want to try and nail that. Well, with, with ha, can you, as if you're, as, so, the, so the starting point with Joel Domit is yeah. ha at the back of ha. the car. 
Oh, but he's got okay. this sort of way of speaking, and it's oh, almost uh, like at the back of the throat, and it's difficult. Yeah, and it's it's difficult not to sound effeminate. I'm I'm, I'm exaggerating for comic effect here, but it's it's you don't want to sort of sound camp because he's not he's a happily married man. But if you can iron out those shiny S's and flatten it up and sort of put him into a normal voice, I'm so excited. And he's got this sort of break. He's got this sort of break in his voice where he says, "Ladies and gentlemen, onto the stage, Sphinx, and onto the stage walks this ten foot tall. I cannot wait." So excited! Oh, oh, let me tell you, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm struggling to get <laughs> No, no, so I'm trying. So, give me a phrase. I'll, I'll try to do a phrase. Okay, if you can say, "I'm so excited! I cannot wait! I'm, I'm so excited for this!" So excited! I cannot wait. Um, I, as we can tell, it needs work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for trying. You know, I really appreciate that. I was, I was, I was going to ask you also the one last thing, if I can prevail upon you to, to do for me. Every impressionist does uh, Alan Rickman. Yes. Do you know what? There's a story in that. There's a story, and that's very, very interesting. Only last week, I was contacted to do an Alan Rickman impression for a narration, and I read it. I gave them the first couple of paragraphs, and she said, it's not quite there. Can you do it again? So I gave her another version, and I tweaked it slightly. And she said, sorry, Darren, it's really not what we're looking for. So I said, absolutely no problem. And I gave uh, an impressionist called Charlie Hopkinson's number. And he did it. And I told him, and I gave him a ring. I said, listen, I've tried a couple of times. I can't get close. I said, yours is much better than mine. And within a couple of days, she sent me an email, said, thank you so much. He was brilliant. And so that's it. I can't do him, but she can, you know, he can. Well, sorry. First of all, Charlie's absolutely brilliant. He's scary mm. brilliant. And he's going to be on the show uh, in a couple of weeks, well, a few weeks' time anyway. Well, um, give, him, I, give him my love when you speak to him. I, I will certainly do that. We've, we worked together, actually. We filmed a few corporate videos doing various impressions. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. He's a lovely guy. Very talented. He's, I mean, watching him do his stuff on the internet, and I, I urge all of our, our listeners to go and have a look at Charlie Hopkinson. He is something else. Get him to do his, um, get him to do his Morgan Freeman. I will, well, I will. His Morgan Freeman is, is the, the best out there, I think, probably. And, you know, so anyway, let, let's get, you know, you're trying to take me off the subject of Alan Rickman here. and Because uh, I just I told you I can't fucking do him. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you, um, I'll give you two words. Go on. No, Potter, no. No, Potter, no. And he's got quite a tight mouth, I've noticed. He doesn't open his mouth a lot, so if you can do that, Potter. That's about it. It's not that good. I, when I can only do the uh, the bit, you know, or I've been a classic fool. That's <laughs> <laughs> love, actually. That's, that's all I've got. Oh, Potter, Potter. Well, look, Darren Altman, this has been uh, an absolute joy of thoroughly... It's, it's, every, every bit of this has been uh, full of good stuff, great voices, and lots and lots of insight because I'm really what one of the things I'm trying to do as well as, you know, in, in making an impression, you know, trying to entertain people. That's the first most important thing, but also to try and, you know, lift, lift the hood on how impressionists go about doing what they do. And you've, you've given a, a fantastic insight. So thank you. And Darren, let's hope uh, we can do this again. 
Brilliant. Thank you. So that was a lot of fun. I mean, I've, I've done, you know, quite a few interviews, but not to sort of discuss the, the minutiae and the detail, which, you know, it's it's impressionist geekery, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's absolutely that. And uh, as I say, if, if uh, we get, uh, if you get the chance and we have the time, we'll definitely do it again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Si. Thank you. And that's it for this uh, this edition of Making an Impression. Join us next time. Bye-bye.